Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Exodus. It has been quite some time since we have been in the book of Exodus. We're going to kind of cover some territory today with a number of different verses. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It was not that long ago, and I am grateful. I honestly do not remember who said it, where I heard it, but I heard this not that long ago. Pastor, I'd really love to come to church, but it's really hot outside. It's just really, really hot outside, and it was a hot summer. What's interesting is that the Lord in His grace has taken care of that for us. It is not that hot out here this morning, and so we rejoice in that. I think a lot of it has to do not with the temperature of the weather. It has to do with the temperature of our hearts. So I welcome every single one of you who have journeyed this morning especially our worship team and sound guys and camera guys. Thank you so much for your sacrifice and your ministry this morning. What a wonderful praise and answer to prayer. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for bringing us up to speed, reminding us of the Lord's wonderful provision and faithfulness. I am excited and encouraged about what God has for us as a local church as we continue to move forward to do the work of the kingdom in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. We have before us in the book of Exodus some rather interesting verses we will look at. It was quite some time ago, one of the elders was asking me, what, what are you going to do, Pastor, when you get to like those really hard verses, those tough verses? What are you going to do with them? I said, I'm just going to preach them because that's what's there. So we're going to have to kind of buckle up this morning as we look at some rather interesting verses, and we'll explain that in just a moment. First and foremost, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we just thank the Lord for a wonderful day together and ask for His help as we learn from His Word together. Let's pray. Father, we are once again just amazed and thrilled with your goodness toward us. The beauty, the remarkable beauty of your creation that surrounds us. I thank you for every person that has come out. I, I thank you, Lord, for those that are not able to come out but are watching online. Father, we together ask as your children that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way, in a fresh way. Speak to us Teach us about yourself through your word and help us, Lord, to understand the importance of all scripture being given for you. All of it is profitable. Father, I pray for help this morning as we navigate through some challenging verses that you would be glorified. Please help me to speak words that only exalt the name of Jesus, and bring glory to you. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us as a church. We are thrilled that we get to be called your own children. And Lord, we admit the fact and we ask for help as we strive to be faithful and obedient. Bless us now. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Okay, it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Exodus. Let me just remind you, it was actually January all the way through into the early part of July that we were in the book of Exodus. And it was the ultimate, what we call wilderness journey, much like our wilderness journey. We understand as well that we've witnessed the plight or the problem of mankind. They were in slavery. They were on the brink, what, of starvation. They've experienced aggravation and frustration. There was almost constant grumbling between one another. They'd been attacked by enemies, and yet God was very patient with them, extending to them grace and extending to them love. He rescued them from the bondage of slavery. He directed them, if you remember, through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He protected them from enemies. He provided water for them when they were thirsty and food for them when they were hungry. He did all of that in a period of just over seven weeks before they got to the base of Mount Sinai. Now, we talked about the fact that up to that point, it had been God from a distance. But now at Sinai, it has been God up close. Remember Moses on the top of the mountain? Everyone was gathered at the base, and there was smoke, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and a trumpet blast. And it says that the people were trembling in fear. It actually says that the mountain was trembling, and God spoke. He offered the Ten Commandments. We looked at them and learned that they're not really up for debate or for discussion. We're not waiting for a final draft. They teach us what? The first four about our relationship with the, with the Lord. And the next six, the last six, talk about our relationship with one another. One is vertical and one is horizontal. All of those commandments are desperately needed as we navigate our life through this world. What's interesting is that there's a lot more to the law than just the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We know the Ten Commandments are pretty clear. You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not lie. And we get it, and we're grateful. But we have to ask the question, what in the world is up with the rest of Exodus? Because in these next couple chapters, you're going to hear and read and see some really, really strange stuff. Let me direct your attention to this one. Right out of the gate, Exodus chapter 21 and verse 2. What do you do with this? When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. Or let's jump down to verse 29. If an ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. Raise forward to Exodus chapter 23 and verse 19. How about this one? You must not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, I don't think I'm the only one that says, you know what, I'm sorry, but some of this stuff kind of sounds 
strange. Milking goats and stoning oxen is not really why I got up and dressed warm to come to church this morning. I don't think I'm the only one that could say, you know what, sorry God, but I'm kind of struggling with these verses. There's much of the Old Testament. What do we do with them? Why are they even here? We don't live under the law any longer. We live under grace. We don't live in a theocracy. We live in a democracy. Now, there are great topics which we know that. And we do not have the time exhaustively to look at everything. But in verse 22, verses 25 to 27, it speaks about compassion for the poor. That's a good thing. That applies. Respect for leaders. In 22, 28, giving offerings. In 29 through 30 of chapter 22. Chapter 23, it speaks about loving our enemies. These are all good things. These are all obvious and helpful. But what about like the stoning of the oxen part? And what about a slave? Many people who are not understanding the full scope of Scripture view a lot of the Old Testament as irrelevant. The Old Testament is just old. Many people view it as what? Unnecessary. Sadly, believe it or not, we actually live in an age where we have prominent evangelical leaders who are saying this, and I quote, Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from their faith. Oh, no, we do not. Oh, no, we do not. If you recall, when Jesus ministered here on this earth, he spent a lot of his time addressing Jewish laws and customs and festivals. He, he, he spent a lot of time speaking to the Pharisees because the Pharisees loved the law. The law was what we could refer to as measurable righteousness. Just tell us what we, we have to do and we'll do it. We know that the Pharisees, what? They add it to the law well beyond the Torah. And they added, what? The Talmud and primarily the Mishnah, all kinds of crazy, crazy laws. On a Sabbath day, you cannot carry a needle with you because thus you would be tempted to sew and sewing would be work. So you can't carry a needle. Where'd that come from? That's not in the word of God. On the Sabbath day, you cannot carry a pen with you according to, what, some Jewish laws because thus you might be tempted to write something and writing is considered work and you can't do that on the Sabbath. What about that? That's all traditional. That's not biblical. That's not what we're talking about. What we examine is what's here already. Pharisees oftentimes tried to use the actual Torah of the law against Jesus. What about this? What about this? What about this? Hold on to this verse. It's actually provided for you in your notes from John chapter 5, verse 46. Things will, lots of things will hinge on this. Jesus is speaking and he says this in John chapter 5, verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. After the resurrection... Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus. What did he do in Luke chapter 24? Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures 
the things concerning himself. So what is happening here? Jesus is saying something. If you are going to understand the Old Testament, you have got to understand me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying what? You must view, you must see me, what? Through the lens of the cross. We understand the Old Testament by looking through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. That's how it begins to make sense. We look at the book of Exodus alone. Bondage in Egypt. Jesus is the one who frees us from the slavery of sin and death. The Passover. Remember that? Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? Jesus is the way. Remember the water from the rock? Jesus is the everlasting water. You remember manna that fell from heaven? Jesus is the bread of life. Now it begins to make sense. Think of Mount Sinai. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law and frees us from it. And that truth weaves itself, carries itself all the way through Old Testament scripture. It is absolutely important. We all know and study what? The story of David and Goliath. It is not what, as we have heard sadly and wrongly, it's not what God gives you victory over giants. God gives you victory over the giant of, of discouragement. And God gives you victory over the giant of depression or despair. That's not what it is. We know the story is what Jesus is the champion who defeats the giant. We know what Daniel and the lion's dead. It's not that God can protect you from the lion of lust. It's not that God protects you from the lion of pride or the lion of hate. We know ultimately that it's Jesus, what? Who closes, forever closes the mouth of the enemy. You see, that's the only way we're ever going to understand why we have the Old Testament, particularly this law. Understand that God is doing something here. He's doing something special, particularly with this nation, Israel. He's preparing them for the coming Messiah. He's preparing them for Jesus. He's calling them close into relationship, and he's setting them apart to live separate and distinct and unique. Do you realize that the exact same principle applies to us today? Yes, it's a different time, different setting, different culture, different context. But we still have laws, and we are still to live in a way that is different or unique or separate so that we stand out. Wendy and I were talking just last night. Just think about the laws that we have to listen to when you drive a car. How many are there? You can't drive too fast. Sometimes it says you can't drive too slow. Don't forget your blinker. Don't forget to stop when it's red. Don't forget to slow down when it's yellow. Don't forget your seatbelt. Don't forget to put your child in the child seat. No, 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 you're facing the wrong direction. There are all kinds of laws, and that's just driving laws. But you can't throw your garbage out the window, and that's good. Don't do that. You can't walk up to somebody and punch them. That's laws of the land. 
But what's interesting here is that we live to another standard. We, we, we realize that in our particular culture, there's laws that says you cannot get drunk in public. It's against the law. You can get arrested for it. Sad thing is, is that it's okay, according to the laws of the land, to be drunk as long as you're in your house. No, a Christian, what? A Christian is never to be drunk under any circumstance. We live to a different standard. You see, we live in the laws of the land that says what? You can't murder someone on the outside. You can't go up and just shoot someone. You're going to get arrested. But what? It is legal to actually murder someone inside. People are doing it with babies up into the ninth month. What? It's actually legal. Whereas the Christian says, no, no, we don't live like that. We never. We know that what? There's laws of the land that says you can't lie in a courtroom. You can't lie before a judge. But we have people that, what, come in their own home and lie to your children all the time. That's why Christians, what? We don't live like that. We live separate. We live distinct. We live unique. We live set apart. That's what God is doing with these laws, with his own people. He says you will live in a culture and a context and you will live totally different than anyone else around you. And that's why there's laws. There are important laws about the death penalty. It says what? If you kill a person, then you are responsible that you will also be killed. That's what the word of God says. Word of God says what? Premarital sex is wrong under no situation or no circumstance. I don't care if you're engaged and you're going to be married. It's wrong. That's what the Word of God says. We have to care for orphans. That's what we do. Lawsuits that don't exist between Christians. Fist fights they don't have. Private property. Loving our enemies. How we treat the poor. There's so many areas that address subjects that we have got to lean into. So many people very quickly pass it off as old-fashioned, out of date, not relevant. God is forming a people for his glory. God wants to form and conform you to live in a way, what, that is separate and distinct for his glory. God is giving instruction on how we are to live with one another in community. People tell me often, God just seems so distant to me. God just seems so far off. I just, I don't, I don't just, I don't seem to know God very well. When the truth of the matter is, you don't know the word of God. And that's why God seems distant. Study the word of God, all of it, and God becomes known to you. He reveals himself to you. Therefore, we need to lean in to listen and learn that all the Old Testament and the New Testament, what? That we are to live, as Tony Merida says, and I quote, to make responsible, Christ-centered, new covenant application. How do we do that? Let me give you a little hint here. Two things very quickly. Two, two things, two mistakes that we need to avoid. The first one is this. Throw all the laws out. 
that they have nothing to teach us. Throw all the Old Testament out. That has nothing. That's a great mistake, a grave mistake. Another mistake we need to avoid is what? We implement all of the laws exactly as they are. That's also a mistake. When it comes to tough texts and passages and portions of Scripture and words that are prickly, we need to remember and understand what is referred to as progressive revelation. It simply means what? Exactly as it sounds. God does not reveal his will and his character to all of humanity all at once. But he reveals himself to us gradually over long periods of time. So think of this. You have to look at the entire narrative of biblical revelation to interpret it properly and fairly. You don't pull out a verse here and pull out a verse there. Consider the one verse that we just read. Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. The subject of slavery. And you're like, wait a minute, what? In light of the fact that we live in a time where we have what? A horrific scar that exists in the history of our own country. What do we do about this? What do we do about the past? What do we do about this present? What do we do about retribution or restitution? Does the Bible speak about this or is it the Bible silence? Are Christians supposed to speak or are we to be silent? Hear me very clearly. Atheists, cynics, skeptics love to promote, and you've heard this lie, and proclaim that the Bible is pro-slavery. And that is so wrong. When in reality, the Bible is anything but pro-slavery. Matter of fact, we just read what? You're seeking regulations to free slaves. It talks about what? In, in verse 16 of Exodus chapter 21, if someone steals another man, you stone them to death. It's actually instituting a death penalty for someone who steals. And we live in a society today where people are still stealing humans, selling humans, deplorable. The Bible sought to limit the institution of slavery. Why? To protect the slave. Be clear on this. Slavery in any form perverts God's created intention for human beings. Let me say that again. The word of God is expressly clear. Slavery in any sense perverts God's created intention for human beings. Now we have to note there is a huge difference between what? The evil and deplorable wickedness from our own history. Huge difference between that and what Paul actually speaks of Christians in the first century. That what? Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ. Which in a sense, what? Makes all of us slaves in submission to and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it's the word, I ved, slave. 
In the New Testament, you've probably heard of this. It's the word doulos in, in Greek. Almost every single time, it's translated as the word servant or bondservant. Gary Ortland writes, and I quote, it often refers to people who had a surprising level of legal and social status in the early centuries. Most were not slaves from birth or slaves for their whole life, but because or because of the race. For instance, the Roman jurist Gaius, second century, claimed that most slaves were prisoners of war who actually would have been slaughtered, killed, if they had not been made slaves. So understand and back the full panoramic view of what scripture is here. We need to remember what? The gospel has called us that God has clearly overcome every single racial and social and religious division at the cross. Paul wrote like this in Ephesians chapter 2, you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated, having no hope. No hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither what? Slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why is this important? Because there is coming a time when we read in Revelation chapter 7 that there will be what? People from every single nation, every tribe and people and language, and we dwell together worshiping the King, worshiping the Lord Almighty in perfect harmony. Quite certain, if we were to examine our life right now, a lot of us don't own goats or donkeys or oxen. Hopefully most of us, most of us have not been in a fist fight recently. Most of us probably have not been gored by an ox. However, what? As followers of Jesus, it says that you're a chosen race. First Peter chapter 2. That you are royalty, a royal priesthood. That you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We remember that what? The Old Testament is for a purpose. And we know that the law at some level reveals to us our sin, and it hurts. It's what I call the law bruises us. Kind of what we talked about with the little ones, where a mirror will show you you got gunk between your teeth. You got stuff on your face. That's what the Bible does for us. That's what the Old Testament does for us. It exposes our sin, and it can be painful for us because it reminds us that we have fallen short of God's glory, but it also reminds us of the desperate need for grace, both before and after salvation. I really think Paul, the former Pharisee, helped us understand and put things in perspective, the value of the law when he wrote this in Romans chapter 7. If it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known it, I would have not known what it is to covet 
if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So not only does the law expose our sin, but it shows us the what? The perfect, holy, spotless character of God. It produces within us what is referred to oftentimes as a holy despair, a desire and a longing for that which we know is holy. Not a hopelessness. But it, but it causes us to strive. Strive toward God. It drives us to the only place. It drives us to the only peace that can be found in union with the Lord Jesus Christ in His work that was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. We know the law bruises, it hurts, but we know finally what? That the gospel heals. The good news of the gospel sends us running to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that He won at Calvary. And it frees us from trying to what? Do and work to get our way to heaven. If I just follow the laws, right? If I just do what I'm told to do, right? Wrong. God desires a heart. God desires relationship. God offered his own son to be what? The good shepherd for us. He leads us to green pastures. And he leads us to still waters of deep and overflowing joy in him and him alone. That's why we preach solus Christus. Salvation in Christ alone. We know there's portions that remind us that we fall desperately short. The law bruises, but the gospel heals. The law is a purpose for us. John Calvin would say that there's three good functions of the law. It's to be a mirror reflecting where we have fallen short, but also reflects the per perfect righteousness of God. It's also what? It's for civil use. The law helps restrain us from evil. And thirdly, what? The function is to guide us into right living, into holy living, to guide us into good works. We together, gathered here on a beautiful day, are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Why? So that we should walk in them. Therefore, we, we have got to remember, just like Israel was set free from slavery, we also have been set free from the law of sin and death. Jesus frees us, and now Jesus desires a relationship with us. Knowing that, we respond in love and grace to God's desire for us to be holy and obedience. People, when you follow the words that God has given to us, we strive to be obedient to what God teaches us. Our life will look different. We will be what? Lights shining out in the darkness of this world. How do we respond to that? What do we do as a result of this? Every single day we wake up by God's grace. His mercies are new every day. Every day, tomorrow morning, you will wake up. And let me remind you that you will be in need of direction and you will be in need of protection. We, we are sheep 
that are in need uh, of a shepherd. I've often told you that, forgive me, but the analogy of a sheep is not very impressive for any of us. Sheep are not very flattering. Sheep don't display a lot of power or force. Remember, there's no claws to sheep. There's no fangs. There's no venom to sheep. They're pretty vulnerable. They're pretty needy. And we're called sheep to tell you how desperate we are. I read recently of a story on July the 8th, number of years ago, 2005, the BBC reported this. There was a group of shepherds in Turkey. They were supposed to be watching sheep, but instead they were eating their breakfast. And they neglected to watch the sheep, and one sheep walked over the edge of a cliff. Do you know what happened? Every other sheep behind that one walked over the same cliff. There were more than 400 sheep that fell over the cliff and died. That's half of it. There was another 1,100 sheep that continued to walk over the edge, but they were padded by the bodies of the 400 previous sheep. That's the only reason they survived. That's what we're called, where we are prone to destruction. We are prone to wander. That's why all and the full counsel of God is needed. Don't ever think, what, that the 39 books are out of date. No, it's necessary for us to view all of the Old Testament through the wonderful lens of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. I am so grateful that today we have before us a visible reminder of what Jesus Christ has done through the communion table. Part of the definition of who we are as a local church we are those that what gather together, we worship, we fellowship, and we remember the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. It's comprised of two elements that Jesus taught his disciples very, very clearly. He said, because what? In a sense, you're sheep and you're not the brightest animals out there. He said, I'm going to give you something so you remember me by and he used two elements. And he used an object lesson. And he said, remember this and hold on to this. Don't ever forget what you're going to hear. Don't ever forget what you're, you're about to touch. Don't ever forget what you're about to, to, to taste. What Jesus did was take some bread. And as an analogy, as a picture, as a symbol, he said, this, this bread, this is a picture of my body. And he broke the bread in front of the disciples. He tore it to pieces. And he said, this is a picture of what's going to happen to my body. My body's going to be broken. It's going to be torn. And then he, then he said something really odd, really strange. He said, I want you to eat it. What? People who don't understand the full counsel of God would very quickly say, what in the world? Same idea happened when Jesus took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out, poured wine into a glass. He said, this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And then he told them something that people are like, what, what, what do you mean? He said, I want you to drink this. 
drink the blood? Like, like, that doesn't make sense. No, no, it's what it is a picture of. It's what the, a symbol of. Going all the way back to the book of Exodus. Going all the way back to the Passover lamb. You find the best, the, the perfect lamb that you can find. I want you to bring it in. Just like God sent his son to come near to us and to dwell with us. I want you to kill that lamb. I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it over the doorposts. And when, what? When I see that blood, I'll pass over you. Same premise. We see Jesus all the way through. And it's what? It's the blood that gives life. That's exactly what God did for us when he sent his own son, Jesus, for his body to be broken, pictured in the bread. His blood to be poured out, pictured in the wine. So that we as his children, what, we eat that, we drink that, and we always, always remember the full counsel of what God has done for us. And the blessing and the privilege that it is to know that although we are most unholy, we can be in a relationship with a holy God because of that price that Jesus paid for our sins. You should have received um, a little tiny cup with a bit of juice and a wafer in it. And I understand this is probably not the way that we normally partake of communion, but due to the circumstances, it is a picture and a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me remind you that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've acknowledged him to be Lord and Savior of your life, then I invite you in just a moment to partake of that. But if you are here this morning and you've not placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, I very politely ask you, please refrain from taking that. It would be meaningless. But I invite you that if you do know that you're a sinner and what we know that sin separates us from Holy God, for all time, for all eternity. But you place your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you can accept him as your savior. And you can surrender and live as he's what? Lord, master of your life. Then take of this. Then take of this. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and Take a moment just to pause and pray in your own heart, thanking the Lord for forgiving you of your sin, for dying on the cross and for giving to us his word, all of it, for giving to us this reminder this morning. After you take a moment just to thank the Lord, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. Father, we are most grateful for the sacrifice that you've given to us by offering your son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your word that reminds us of what is in store when we place our 
faith and our trust in the work of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the elements of the Lord's table that are before us. The bread is a picture of the body of Jesus, the cup that is a picture of the blood of Jesus. Father, we pause in quietness with heads bowed as a sign of submission to your lordship. We want to express gratitude for suffering so that we can be set free from the law of sin and death. I want to thank you that you love us when we're most unlovable. You extend grace to us when we don't deserve it. You, you lavishly pour out mercies. We thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, that you would guide us to live separate and unique and distinct lives, that we would live as light in darkness. We confess that we fall short every day. Please forgive us, but fill us with your spirit so that we live in a way that brings you glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It was the Apostle Paul who was teaching to the church at Corinth about the Lord's table, and he said this, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this, Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And we look forward, we look forward to when he comes again. But until then, we will trust him to give us the strength to be faithful to the task we have been called to. Matt, come and close us. Lord bless.